Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. The goal of this show is to help to educate you in order for you to eradicate and to dismantle racism. The goal for me is to make an impact in such a way that we really can achieve racial equity for everyone and so that it becomes the norm. I want to start our show as I always do by inviting us to go into a time of meditation. But before I do that, if you are listening live, I would love for you to make your comments on YouTube, ask your questions, let us know what you think about the show. And if you're listening after the fact, please do write in and let us know what you think of the show, the topic, the guest. And if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, if you'd have a guest that you'd like to be on the show, write to me and let me know. You can also get in touch with me by going to sacredintelligence.com and making comments there as well through an email. Um, just, I want to hear from you. I want to know what you think and I want to know how I can serve you. So if you would, for a moment, I invite you to close your eyes and just begin to take a deep breath in and hold it and release it. Take one more deep breath in and hold and then release it slowly. And then just breathe at your normal rhythm. Breathe in the fact that you are divine wisdom. Cradle yourself in this moment in deep love. Giving gratitude for who you are. Giving gratitudes, gratitude for the gifts that you have. Just breathe in and out. Just take a moment to love how you've shown up in the world. The times that you've made good decisions. The times that you've spoken up for justice. The times that you have stood up for yourself. Just give yourself gratitude. And as you give yourself gratitude, I want you to expand and give gratitude for those who came before you, those who fought for your freedoms, those who fought for the freedom of others, those who understood that their silence helped to perpetuate racism. So they use their voices to free those who were oppressed, to change the status quo. So just breathe in and out, giving gratitude for yourself, for the ancestors, and now give gratitude for those who walk alongside you. This journey of dismantling racism is not one to be walked alone. We have those who partner with us, who support us, who encourage us, who lift us up, who guide us, who inspire us, and who motivate us to continue to fight for justice. So breathe in and out, recognizing your power, embracing your power, and understanding that what you do matters. Breathe in and out, recognizing that the power of one contributes to the power of many. Now take a deep breath in 
and sigh it out. And let's begin. We are at the beginning of Black History Month. And I wonder, what does Black History Month mean to you? Is it an opportunity to celebrate the achievements of those from the African diaspora? Do you have strong feelings about Black history being recognized by many only during one month? Does the month come and go without much fanfare for you at all? What purpose does the month or even knowing the history of the people who are Black serve? I believe that knowing our heritage, in particular, our heritage as people of color, is critical to our survival and thriving both as humans and divine beings. Ignorance is bondage, and it contributes to limiting thinking, self-hatred, despair, hatred of others, apathy, complacency, violence, and so much more. And so I want to invite you, regardless of your color, I want to invite you to take time during this month to engage with the following things. Remember and research. Remember the legacy of Black people. We stand on the shoulders of people who understood their brilliance, gifts, and their worthiness. They knew that our life circumstances do not define who we are and what we can become. They valued humankind and knew the importance of lifting as they climbed. Their strong sense of community meant educating, mentoring, redirecting, and holding one another up and accountable for their actions. So this month, I invite us to remember the character of our ancestors and take the time to research our history and your own history if you are not from the African diaspora. And then I want to invite you to reconcile and repair. Take the time to reconcile faulty knowledge of our history with new, with new discoveries about our history. Every day we're learning something new about the contributions of African-Americans. So look for opportunities to share your new learning with other folks, especially youngsters. Pay attention to the ways in which people have worked together cross-racially to raise the consciousness of others, to build community, and to make this world a better place. This month is a powerful time to repair relationships within and beyond our community. It is especially a time to practice deep self-love. Doesn't matter who you are. To practice deep self-love and honoring who we are as divine beings. For it's only when we can love ourselves can we truly love another. And then finally, I want to ask you to reevaluate and recommit. What do I mean by that? I want you to engage in self-reflection because it's really good for the soul and it can help you shift how you show up in the world. <coughs> Excuse me. So this month is a good time to reevaluate whether you've honored the path of the ancestors. Are you continuing the legacy of hope, love, and faith that's been passed down to you from your ancestors? Are you fully taking advantage of the privileges that they sacrificed for us? And yes, people of all races have sacrificed. So I invite you this month, <laughs> excuse me, for the cough and the tickle, I invite you this month. Don't make this just to be another month on the calendar. Take the time to truly, truly celebrate. We're going to go to a quick commercial, early commercial, so I can get my act together. And when we come back, my guest today is going to talk about the contributions of white allies. We'll be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. We'll be back. 
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. with the Dismantle Racism Show. I think I have myself together now, but we will see. It's amazing being live, right? You have to just go with the flow. But today we're actually talking about something that I believe is really, really important. And it's important for those who are white, who want to be allies in this journey. And one of the things that I've often said when I teach is that it's important for white folks to know your history in the movement. And so I'm delighted today to have a guest who talks just about why it's so important and how, in fact, it's damaging if white folks don't know their history. But I think it's important not just for white people to know the history of whites who've been involved in the movement. It's also important for people of color because I think all too often we can have a mistrust of white people and we can often think that there are no whites who support us and that's absolutely not true. So I wanna welcome my guest today, Lynn Burnett, who is a former high school history teacher and the founder of Cross-Cultural Solidarity and and the White Anti-Racist Ancestry Project. Now, Lynn has done so much more, but we are only going to give a short part of his bio because he's going to talk about it as he engages us in this conversation of white allies, white anti-racist leaders, and why it's so important. So Lynn, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be here as well. And thank you for your beautiful meditation. It, it grounded me and opened my heart. And I really appreciate it. And, and also, uh, good morning to all the listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lynn. Lynn, <clears throat> so I'm just going to jump into my customary question about grounding, because a part of the reason why I do that meditation is to ground mm-hmm. folks. And it's so important if we're going to engage in this work to have something that help keeps us moving forward, which is why I do the meditations. And also, it's an opportunity because I think what a lot of people don't realize, the guests on the show also need to be grounded because to get up here 
and to talk about things like this, it, it you know, it, it can be nerve wracking. And I'm not saying that you were nervous about being on the show, but it's also an opportunity to do just that. So when you are engaging in this work beyond being on the show, mm-hmm. do you have some sort of practice or um, sacred ways of being that helps to ground you and so you can continue to do this work? Uh, absolutely. And it's something um, it's something that I have, and it's also a growing edge and something that I want to return to and, and strengthen. But also, you know, I lead workshops using white anti-racist history to help white folks reflect on how they can show up for racial justice. And I always start with the grounding and I always close with the grounding. And it's not even about me being nervous as a facilitator, but you know, when I do that, it allows all of us to settle. It allows myself to settle. It allows all of us to show up more, more fully. So I've seen it be something that people really appreciate. And in my own life, I have a spiritual practice of Zen Buddhism, which I've had for about 15 years. And I also have, uh, you know, gratitude practices. I try to breathe deep into my body and feel my breath. You know, when I, when I wake up in the morning, I try to breathe in gratitude before I even get out of bed. And I also, um, you know, something that is really powerfully grounding for me is saying, thank you, God. You know, when I wake up and walking in the woods at night in the East Bay Hills behind Oakland and Berkeley, I'll, I'll go for a walk by myself when no one's out there and I'll just say, thank you, God. And that language doesn't come from Zen Buddhism, but it opens my heart in a very profound way and allows me to receive something very important. I love that. And you're absolutely right. It isn't always about being nervous, but those of us who do this work, I think what meditation does or being in gratitude does, being appreciative of what's around us, is it reminds us of who we are and why we do this work. Yes. That is not about us. Mm -hmm. It's about the greater picture of of the world and who we are and so if we do this work and we're just sailing in the wind we cannot be useful mm-hmm. we have to find a way that says i'm doing this work in ways that help me to maintain my sanity through the process and we can talk about all of those things a little bit later but you know, in terms of have there been times, you know, when, when, when it doesn't feel like we're, we're in some ways sane doing this work because the world seems to be crashing in, but we'll, we'll ask about some of that a little bit later. I know in in our conversations, we've talked about that, but Lynn, before we get into what this journey has, uh, cost you, because I do want to have that conversation, as I think it's important for a lot of people who are white, or actually even people of color, when we're thinking about engaging in this conversation, their costs. But before we get there, tell me how you started your commitment to racial justice in the first place. What drew you in? Mm -hmm. Well, first, I would say to any white person out there, Uh, It's really powerful to write your racial autobiography, to start in your childhood, to trace all the steps and the things that influenced you. And so, you know, I have a long journey that I can think back to memories where I was five, where I started to care in some some way about racial justice. Um, But, you know, the the defining moment in my life that that was the most important was spending a year in 2006 teaching incarcerated youth. And, um, you know, that was an experience that I felt in a very deep, visceral level. It was very emotional to walk into a prison and to see young people in that prison and uh, to recognize that if I had been in their shoes, facing what they were facing, you know, I would have done the same exact things that they did. Some of them were in jail for doing things that I know as a, you know, white teenager, if, if I had done it, I would have had a boys will be boys kind of reaction. And it was uh, it, it, it something that happens to white people 
in general, when we look at the development of a stronger anti-racist commitment, there's usually something that happens at the heart level. You know, there's usually something that happens beyond reading a book, watching a documentary. You know, the, the closer you get as a white person to witnessing racist brutality, uh, the more committed you're likely to become. And the closer you are to black and brown people in, in a sense of truly loving people, truly caring for people. And when you see the people who you love and care for being impacted, that's where the really deep commitment tends to come from. And so I had experiences like that in, in the prison and, and also elsewhere. And the, the last thing I want to say about that experience was it was what convinced me to become a high school history teacher because I told those students um, that I was going to organize the curricula around the biggest questions that they had. You know, what do you really want to understand? And, and even though I'm from the Bay Area, I spent a few years in Arizona. So this was in Arizona. There were a lot of indigenous kids in there and they had a lot of questions about why the reservation was so poor, questions about food deserts. There were a lot of black students or, or black young people who were in the jail, even though there was only something like a 3% black population in Northern Arizona. Mm -hmm. And they were like, why are we all here? And I was completely unprepared as a white person to help them think about the most important questions in their life. And I was not okay with not mm -hmm. that capacity. And so I spent a lot of time researching, you know, late into the night at the local university and so that I could help them wrestle with that stuff. And I discovered racial justice history as a powerful tool to empower those young people. Mm -hmm. Also to open my own eyes, that history helped me uh, reckon with a deep level of ignorance that I had. And it helped me step into the world with a clarity and an integrity that I could never have had if I hadn't encountered that history. You know, so it's so interesting because you've said so many things uh, in that. Um, one, <clears throat> the importance of our relationships with one another. And I think all too often in my experience, um, I've encountered many white people who will see things like mass incarceration or will see the fact that it was mostly black and brown kids in those prisons. They'll think there's something wrong with that population because they haven't taken the time to come into our communities and to see how we're impacted. So they'll believe that, well, more Black people are criminals, mm -hmm. right? Rather than understanding, like you said, the, the consequences are different. Mm -hmm. I have had those experiences in settings that I've worked in where I've seen white people get away with things that I know a person of color would never get away with. And then people will say, oh, you're you're playing the race card. No, that's, I, I can see what's happening. And so what I hear you saying and what I wanna invite our listeners to do is to open your eyes and question, cause that's what those kids were doing. Mm -hmm. Question why you see things the way you see them instead of just assuming that that's just the way it is. Right. So you stepped outside of the box, it seems, and decided uh, I'm going to to care about what's happening to these kids and I'm going to look at history differently. You have just proven why it's important for us to study history in school, although uh, if I'm not mistaken, they just decided not to teach. It's not a requirement to teach uh, African-American culture for standardized tests, right? Because here's the point, people. Folks don't want you to know your history because if you know your history, you can change the world. You can do something about it. If you don't know your history, you can't. It's a way of keeping white supremacy for folks to not know their history. But Lynn, we want to we hear from you. So you, this is how you became interested in your commitment to racial justice. Now, let's shift a little bit then and tell me about your commitment to white anti-racist history. Why is that important? And, you know, why do you focus primarily on that at this point? Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my real commitment to that deepened after the uprisings of 2020 but, you know, before that, coming out of that moment in 2006, 
that led to many years of a really deep dive study on my part, primarily into black freedom struggle history. And, you know, in studying that history, I encountered these white folks like, you know, Ann Braden, you know, mobilizing white Southerners for racial justice in the civil rights movement. I encountered people like Virginia and Clifford Durer and Lillian Smith and the legacy of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which grew out of the sit-ins and the Freedom Rides. You know, it's just just incredible white folks. And so with, within Black Freedom Struggle history, I found myself on a personal level being very inspired yeah. uh, by these folks. But then there was also, you know, I, I, I was doing racial justice organizing and organizing against mass incarceration and, you know, heard, you know, Angela Davis speak, especially who was a good friend of Ann Braden. And, you know, she would urge her white audience to study Ann Braden and study their white movement ancestors. I heard Cornel West say that. And then just in the course of my organizing, you know, all of the black organizers around me were also saying, you know, we're suggesting to the white folks doing the work that that uh, they didn't need to reinvent the wheel. They didn't make the same mistake. They didn't need to make the same mistakes of the past. You know, they could learn a whole lot from looking at how white people had done this well. And they always suggested that we do that work. And it took me years to really, um, uh, to, to, to be honest, it took me years to, to really digest that message. Um, but uh, then 2020 came and there were millions of white people pouring out into the streets, marching, demonstrating, protesting, and also asking how they could show up for racial justice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, beyond the protest, beyond the demonstration, uh, beyond posting on social media. And I found myself with a deep wish during that time. I wish that there was a resource for all of those white people to go to. I wish that they could see all those powerful historical examples of truly powerful, excellent white anti-racism so that they could figure it out in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, so they could have a resource that could show them how it's done at an excellent degree that could inspire them. And in the months after those protests, I decided to, to create that resource, hoping that it would be in place for the next time millions of white people were asking that question. I so love that 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 you've created this this data bank actually for people to go to and the and and um what's what's profound to me as you're talking about this is that we will spend our time watching a video of someone being murdered or beaten to death. We will spend our time on social media media commenting about things without having really given it full thought and digesting it rather Mm -hmm. than doing what you just said going and learning about our history and the history of white folks being involved in this movement you know it's much easier for us to hate one another and to have disdain for one another when we don't understand Mm -hmm. one another and i think that if we recognize how we've all uh, supported one another at some point during our lives. And I say all people of different races uh, have supported one another. I think it would give us incentive and encouragement to continue this effort, you know? And I feel that most of us are so uncomfortable talking about race, talking about the real issues that we just keep it on a superficial level and then we make mistake after mistake after mistake. Lynn, when we come back from our break, I'd like you to talk a little bit about um, the Elder Project and why that's so important to you as well. We're going to be right back with my guest, Lynn Burnett today, who talks about the history of white anti-racist leaders and why that's important. We'll be right back after this break. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. 
Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is Lynn Burnett, and we have been talking about white anti-racists who have been involved in um, really changing the world, as their name implies. Lynn, tell us a little bit about the Elder Project and um, and really, I want to hear a little bit more around and I guess you'll talk about it with the with the elder project but you mentioned in the previous section that it took you a while to embrace the fact hmm. that you should study white anti-racist so as you talk about the elder project could you just hone in a little bit more on that for our listeners why this is so critical to study white anti-racist yeah I think that what I'll do is I'll talk about why I think the entire project is important, and then I'll weave the elders in, into it. So the, the project that I run is called the White Anti-Racist Ancestry Project. And by ancestors, thinking of movement ancestors, you know, not necessarily our biological ancestors as white people, but who are the white people in history, you know, who have shown up in the world for racial justice in the ways that we might aspire to, to be like, those kind of ancestors. And the, the very basic premise of the project in a nutshell is that it will be much easier for us to mobilize masses of white people for racial justice, to educate white people around racial justice, to help white people develop a positive, you know, racial identity, anti-racist identity. All of that becomes much easier if white people have access to powerful and inspiring examples of what truly excellent, you know, anti- uh, white anti-racism looks like in, in the first place. So the, the project seeks to uh, develop those resources uh, in the service of helping to mobilize white people for racial justice. And the project has, uh, there are five types of strategic, uh, of resources that I'm building that each have a certain kind of strategic value. One is a series of really short pieces, you know, one to two pages uh, about a wide variety of white anti-racist figures. That's a great tool for parents and teachers doing the work of of raising a white anti-racist generation. Uh, chapter length pieces, that's where we get to explore the emotional lives of white anti-racists, the, the growing process, the mistakes they make, how they learn from them. And then there's interviewing uh, elders. You know, As I do this work, it's very important for me that I'm in communication uh, with a range of people actually, that I'm in communication with the scholars who are doing the deep dive stuff into the people who I'm writing about, um, interviewing the scholars, uh, talking with leading figures in the white anti-racist movement to hear their thoughts about this, and also talking with the people who made the history and who, who lived the history that I write about. And it's that work with white anti-racist movement elders that feels um, probably at, at, a, at a heart level. You know, I feel it almost feels uh, like a sacred dimension to the work to, to preserve those memories and to lift up 
that wisdom. And if I had to think of the the single greatest blessing uh, that this project has has brought to me, it would be putting the fact that it has put me in touch with um with just incredible people, uh, you know, from from the movement. Mm-hmm. I think it's so fascinating to meet the elders of the movement because mm-hmm. if we are not careful, we actually forget their sacrifices. We 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 kind of walk around and just think that all of this is just uh, it's just the way it is. But no, there were people who gave blood, sweat, and tears mm-hmm. to be uh, a part of a world that wanted to see social justice for everyone. And when you were talking about it giving you chills, I just thought about the energy of being in the presence of that. And and really, you know, it, it's so interesting because one time when I was um, at the National Museum uh, of African-American History, I saw Harriet Tubman's shawl and I literally like stretched out my hand towards that shawl. And I kid you not, I felt the the energy just go up my, and somehow it just, it, it just gave me extra strength, you know, to be in that presence. So I can imagine if you're talking to people who've been in the movement, how amazing that is. And it's a way of honoring the elders as well. Now, as we're talking about this, and I hope that we have a little time to to really uh, get into this, I'm talking about the sacrifices that our elders have made. But those of us who do this work, we sacrifice as well. And I think one of the things that keeps people from doing this work are those sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Am I going to get in trouble on my job? Am I going to lose family members? Uh, What are other people going to say? Mm. And I will be honest with you. There was a time in my life, even though I was doing this work, I always did this work, but when my work was shifting and I was focusing on another area, there were things happening in the world and that I wasn't necessarily commenting on, on Facebook. Because I don't always get into the back and forth with people on Facebook. But I wasn't always commenting because I was thinking, well, I'm trying to make sure that I'm keeping those two things separate. There is no separation. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a leader, if you're a human being, you just have to stand up for what's morally right. And so at some point, we have to take a stand. And you're doing that in some profound ways. You were doing that when you worked with the kids, you know, who were in um, incarcerated. Talk to me a little bit about your sacrifices. What has it cost you to engage fully in this work of um, dismantling racism? Mm-hmm. Well, when I launched, uh, my website is crossculturalsolidarity.com, and I built that for years before launching the White Anti-Racist Ancestry Project. And I spent four years uh, working as an Uber driver uh, to to get that racial justice history project up and running. So I've given rides to 20,000 people throughout the Bay Area. And uh, there were four years in my life when... I was either on the road and, you know, that gave me flexibility to be a writer, but I was either on the road or I was doing research and I was writing and I stopped spending time with friends, with family, with loved ones. I uh, lost, you know, my spiritual practice to a great degree. And as human beings, we are not meant to be isolated. Mm -hmm. I isolated myself and I went through a period of uh, despair that that to be honest was so in, intense that even though it's been a number of years there's a part of me that is still healing from that mm-hmm. so, you know if I could go back in time I would put my self-care front and center always and I would put the people who I love in my life front and center always I would never not center that and the reality is that I I have some you know deep regrets about not putting those things um you know front front and center and I also have compassion for myself mm-hmm. because at the time I could not see um 
a, another way forward. But, you know, what I would tell your listeners is that, um, you know, we, we can give so much more to the world when we are happy and healthy. When we're happy and healthy, that's when we have the energy. That's when we have the clarity. And, you know, if you're burning yourself out, you can do that for a year, two years, three years. You know, but, but, but we want you, I want you to be doing incredible work over the span of, of your lifetime. And, you know, every time, you know, when you're in a happy and healthy place, it allows others to be happy and healthy as well. So like so many activists, um, I, I decentered my own self-care. Mm. And I think that as a movement, I, I would like to see a racial justice movement where we are all taking good care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that that powerful movement. Yeah. And I think that people are adding that more as a piece, even, you know, their books on mindfulness, their, their opportunities just to get away and just retreat and just try to remove all of these things as much as you can uh, from, from your being while you're trying to just unwind you know, one of the things that I always do when I talk to people around activism is, especially for those people who are going hard in 2020 and you don't see them now, I would say exactly what you just said, but I would, I would say, actually, you're going to kill yourself is really what I would say. Because I knew people who were watching over and over and over those videos and just sitting and crying watching George Floyd. Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. That serve, that doesn't serve any purpose other than to traumatize you. And so, and they, I mean, like, literally, it's like they gave up their, their businesses to just go hard, hard, hard. And I said, you're going to burn out. You're going to stop talking about this. And like you just said, Lynn, if people are going to continue this work, they must find ways in which they can do it and still honor the care of themselves and their families are important as well. Now, having said all of that, Lynn, there are still sacrifices that we all make mm -hmm. in doing this work. And I don't think that we can avoid the sacrifices. And in my book on dismantling racism, I invite people to think about what sacrifice are you willing to make? Because we know that people like Dr. King and Ann Braden and Angela Davis and Ella Baker, Joanne Robinson, Fannie Lou Hamer, those people sacrificed their lives. Mm. When Dr. King died and they did an autopsy on him, now I believe he was 39 years old. They said he had the heart of a 60-year-old man. It's incredible stress. Incredible. And there's a toll that this takes on us. Mm -hmm. So we have to decide what sacrifices are we willing to make? And I'm glad that you are able to reflect on what you could have done differently and make a decision to be equally as committed and then continue to move forward. So I really appreciate you doing that work. Lynn, we do have to take a break, but when we come back, I'd like to hear how you have grown from being an activist. Because I often talk to people about there being a cost, white people in particular, that there's a cost to racism that I don't know that white people are fully conscious of. And so because you've engaged in this work, I'd like to hear how you have grown, how it's benefited you to do this work from an emotional place, a spiritual place, mm. a, a social place. So um, not so much in terms of, I mean, we've talked about what you've lost, but I'd like to know what you've gained. So we're going to be right back, give you a little bit of time to think about that. And, uh, and so you'll be able to respond. Before we take a break, I do just want to remind you so please go to sacredintelligence.com and take a look at some of the things that I have going there uh, on my website to figure out how you can get in touch with me, how you can learn more about uh, each guest that I have, because the shows are also posted there as well for you to go back and listen to again. And please, if you have not done so already, 
please listen to my meditations that are based on the meditations in my book. Please listen to those on wherever you stream your music. We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest, Lynn Burnett. And Lynn, before I um, have you to answer that, I just want to give a shout out to my daughter, Ruby, because she did an excellent job with picking the music for this show. And I I always see my guests just kind of nodding and bopping along. And I wanted her to pick something that went a little bit with my my personality. And I think she, I think she nailed it there. So shout out to my daughter, Ruby Avery for uh, picking the music. Now, Lynn, how have you grown in doing this work? It feels like this work has just entirely formed me and, and, and shaped me. Uh, It, it defines my life experience and, and how I see the world. So I think what I want to do is just lift up some of the lessons that I feel like I've gained over the years. And one of them, especially coming out of this COVID era is that, you know, I I think that when organizers cook together and dance together, you know, that, uh, you know, that's, you know, building that level of connection. It's not just about having meetings all the time, you know, bond with the folks who you work with on a, on a, on a heart level. Uh, that's really important. And that's something that feels alive to me now because I feel like I've been missing that for, for a few years. And it's something that I'd like to to have again. Um also, you know, I've I've learned that um, you know, sometimes the spaces that we are in, and this is just true as a society, but we can sometimes be in spaces that are being reactive, where decisions are being made really hastily. And, you know, be thoughtful. It's okay to take time. It's important to be thoughtful. It's important not to make hasty decisions. And, you know, if you're in a room full of people and there's that kind of energy, you know, be the thoughtful person. And when when you show up in a thoughtful way, you know, it can it can help other people to then kind of follow that lead. And I've also learned that it's important not to let the pressure of any specific moment derail you from laying the foundations, you know, for, for doing the work for the long haul. And obviously when I was talking about some of the the struggles, I've definitely been there and doing that. Um, I've learned that we don't have to respond to everything. 
Mm, yes. You know, as yeah. activists, sometimes we can be always fighting the fire that's that's right in front of us. There's always going to be another fire. Once again, you know, we, we got to focus on that. But, you know, you don't have to focus on every single one. And once again, you know, lay those foundations. Think about the long haul. We are never going to get to justice if we're only putting out the fires, yes. you know, that are in front of us. And I, I think that one of the powerful things about the White Anti-Racist Ancestry Project is this deeply, it's deeply, is deep foundational long haul work. How do we raise the white anti-racist generation? What resources do the parents and the teachers need? What are the sources of inspiration that can keep us in this for the long haul? And people doing racial justice work, we really need to be thinking about what do we need in this moment, but we also need to be thinking of the things that help us to transform culture, the things that keep us in, you know, for, for the long haul. I have also learned that, um, you know, something that happens with a lot of, of white folks is sometimes we get really focused on wanting to say the right thing, always do the right thing. I've definitely been there. And, you know, I am increasingly learning that it is really okay to be imperfect mm-hmm. and actually a good thing to let yourself be imperfect. And it's also really, really important to let other people be imperfect too and to just keep affirming the heck out of each other you know no matter how imperfect um that that we are and the last thing that i'll say is in the course of doing the white anti-racist ancestry project i've also learned not to let uh critique and criticism derail me from you know what i feel is truly important work and you know if if there's a critique that is harshly worded. I've kind of been learning to let that go, to step back, but also to reflect on it and take it as an opportunity uh, to figure out how to respond well and to take every critique as an opportunity to deepen the project. I love all of those things. So um, we're going to have to wrap up in just a minute, but what would you say You know, we've been talking about white folks who are activists and who really want to engage in this work. But what would you say to folks who are just standing on the on the outskirts looking in? Why would you tell them that's in that it's important for them to know their white anti-racist history to encourage them to jump on board? Mm-hmm. In about 30 seconds, Lynn. <laughs> 30 seconds? <laughs> well, you could maybe a minute, but so I, I think that there are a lot of white people who don't see their role in the history. They look at black and brown history. They look at freedom struggle history. And if they only see white people being cast either as passive observers or as in some kind of oppressive role, I think that a lot of white people feel, you know, there's a range of emotions. Maybe it makes them feel shame. Maybe it makes them feel like they don't have a place. Maybe it makes them feel like like they don't want to engage in that history because it makes them feel bad about white people. And I think that the white anti-racist history is really important because, you know, white folks need to be looking at black and brown freedom struggle history, but they also need to see white anti-racist history within that so that they can see how they have a role within that history. They don't need to be a passive observer. They don't need to feel like white people are always the villain. Mm -hmm. One of the things that feels really subversive in a good way about this project to me is there's a narrative on the right that racial justice history is about, you know, white people just always, you know, it's some kind of anti-white history. And when you look at racial, when you look at white anti-racist history, you don't see anti-white history there. You Mm -hmm. see the kinds of white folks who you would admire and aspire to be yourself as a white person, which completely pulls the rug out of that right-wing narrative. their, Their role in things. And so, that's that's my hope is that the history helps white people uh, see their role and and from seeing their role also hopefully that becomes a, a entry point for them to explore the the wider range of racial justice history as well. So I think everybody should go and check out your website where you have all of this information housed. This great resource and data bank there. So tell us your website. The website is crossculturalsolidarity.com. Uh, there's also uh, there, there's a link right at the top ta- uh, at the top for uh, all the social media links. If you want to follow me on Medium, you know Twitter, Facebook, it's all there. Uh, there's an events tab if you want to plug into opportunities to discuss some of that stuff. 
And there's also resources on about 150 racial justice history topics, including lots of white anti-racist material, but lots of other stuff as well. It's a great place for teachers to go as well so they can teach their students. I think that uh, even as we look at Black History Month, it's really a great place to, to go and learn about the movement in general. Lynn, we have run out of time here, but do you have uh, a 30 seconds words of inspiration that you could offer to our audience? Yeah, I would say, uh, I just want to say to all the listeners, uh, may our racial justice practice be fueled by our thoughtfulness and our groundedness and our love. And may the actions that we take for racial justice also deepen us as spiritual beings. And may we all find the sources of inspiration that we need to grow on this journey and to sustain our spirits on this journey for the long haul. And ultimately, the greatest gift that we can give to the movement is our love and our clarity and our happy and healthy spirits. And so may we all give that gift to ourselves so that we can give it to the world. Mm, ashe, ashe. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Lynn Burnett. I have enjoyed our conversation and thank you to the listeners. And I want to invite you during this Black History Month to figure out ways in which you can truly engage with racial equity and dismantling racism. If you've not picked up a copy of my book, I want to invite you to make it uh, your priority for it to be on your reading list for this month. Beloved, I'm wishing you well for this week. Be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Okay, Please join it. me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. On edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Passionate about the conversation around racism, 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 